going to take a few minutes before we get there. Um, as Lori mentioned, this is uh, it, it's a fun series in the summer uh, because, frankly, I don't know what people are going to ask, and uh, sometimes they're questions that I have not considered, and sometimes you know they're they're more what I would think is typical. But what I started to realize uh, over the last number of summers that I've done this is everyone comes from a different faith background, different tradition, different denomination, whatever it might be. And some of these questions, they may seem to you at first, they might be like, why would somebody ask this? But to somebody coming from a different tradition, perhaps they're going, I've always wondered that and I needed to know. And so sometimes when we deal with some of these questions at at the surface level, you might think, I already know the answer to this. This I can check out. Uh, Please don't. That would be very disappointing for me. Um, but I think as we, even if we know the answers to some of these things or, or theoretically know the answers to some of them, it really starts to impact how we look at God, how we look at the scriptures when we study in them even more deeply. And that is what I hope we are going to do this morning. Uh, we have been, so from January to June, we were working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians and In the midst of that, we talked about the body of Christ, how each one of us are members of it. Each one is uh, necessary. In fact, the ESV worded it as what? Come on, people. Lee? Thank you, Becca. Indispensable. It's literally, that means, right, what Paul is saying is that you are integral to the health of the local body of the church that you belong to. And so we desperately desire that each one who calls Banff Park Church their home come and we fellowship together, we worship together, we serve together, we reach out to the community together because individually we're not nearly as effective. And as I was preparing for a different Bible study this week, uh, one of the guys that was, was talking said this. He said, uh, I don't know all the things that God has taught you and you don't know all the things that God has taught me. And that's so true is we need each other in that context, especially in a place like Banff, where we have people come from all over the world with all different ideas, all different backgrounds, all different upbringings, all different cultures, is we have so much to learn from each other if we're willing to listen. And when we gather together and when we worship together, when we come with a sense of humility and recognize that the person sitting beside me or behind me or in front of me, wherever it is, that they have things that God has given them that, that maybe I don't know and maybe I need to learn from. And maybe I can uh, fellowship with them after and, and leave this place encouraged and challenged. And, and that's what all of this is about. That's what these questions are meant to be is, man, I've never considered this topic. What does this mean? Well, what it does is it forces us to go to Scripture It forces us to read it, to study it, and to figure out what is meant by this passage or what is meant by this idea or this theology. And the most important thing it does is it draws us closer to Jesus. And so all of us uh, can grow in this time. And so I have been very excited for this. It's very different than how we typically deal with things. We usually just follow, you know, I know what's coming for like a year because we pick 1 Corinthians and I know that the next 10 verses or the next 12 verses or whatever. This is like every, every morning uh, on Tuesday I get to my office and I'm like, all right, here we go. I have no idea where we're going. And it's causing me to uh, jump all over Scripture and try and understand it more holistically. And so it's just, a, it's just a privilege for me. So this question, 
this morning. Uh, we're going to leave you hanging just for a minute. This question was asked when I first started ministry, like, I don't know, almost 18 years ago, as I was a youth pastor. Uh, my senior pastor shared this, this topic. Now, I don't remember how it came about. I don't remember if it was a, a question that he was answering specifically or if it just popped out of the text and it was something he wanted to clarify. I, I can't remember that far. But I do know that as he taught through this, this kind of was something that at first, it was just like, oh, yeah, that's obvious. Okay, that makes sense. That's good. And then I just kind of moved on. But I started to see as time went on how important it is that we understand what this is and actually apply it to our lives. And so the question that was asked uh, generically was this, is what is a biblical definition of the word saint? What does that word mean? And so as soon as... <laughs> Mervyn. Oh, dear. When you spend too much time on a roof together, you just know certain things are coming. Okay. Uh, oh, dear. I have really bad ADD for those of who are new. That's not good. Let's move back. Move back. Saints. Okay. Um, what is a biblical definition of saints? Now, again, uh, I grew up in a very evangelical place. Uh, and so... The idea of saint was not this uncommon thing to me, but what I started to learn as I got older is, is I went to uh, speak at a Bible camp, uh, and the first couple of summers there, I realized very quickly that the predominant group of people in that area came from a Catholic tradition, and I knew very little about the Catholic tradition. And there's a big difference between the Catholic and the Protestant tradition when it comes to sainthood. What does that mean? And so that's where we may say the same words, but people may mean very different things. And even if you're not uh, necessarily from the Catholic tradition, but maybe you grew up in a Catholic town, and where this was just, this idea of sainthood was something that was kind of twisted in your mind a little bit, away from what the Bible teaches, towards what the culture taught. And I think lots of us, and not just in this issue, but lots of us need to unlearn what culture has taught us and what the impact of kind of normal day-to-day -day life uh, on certain issues has brought, and we need to go back to Scripture and back to see what it is. And so when this person asked this question, is they emailed me, and then we ended up having a conversation, uh, a short conversation about it, is there were all kinds of little ideas that came with this. Is like, what's, what's the Catholic view of sainthood? What's the Protestant view of sainthood? Why aren't they the same? What does the Bible teach about this? And, and what are these things about miracles? And, and so there's all kinds of stuff that we're going to explore as, as quickly and efficiently as we can. And so what we, do in, in this church, and i got to be careful here because there's a couple visiting that I won't point to, but they're from Burlington, which is like the AGC's Mecca. Like, so we're part of the Associated Gospel Churches. That's like our headquarters. So literally in their church are some people that I am accountable to. So I have to be very careful what I say here this morning. I mean, I guess it's always true when it's online, but I just feel like when it's online, there's a separation. But now they're staring right at me. Okay, we're going to move here. When we think of what is a saint, and I'm not going to answer that just yet. I just want you to think about what image comes to your mind. What is a saint? If you look it up in kind of any kind of dictionary or, or even probably Google for that matter, this is kind of the basic definition that comes. In religious belief, a saint is a, per a person who is recognized as having an exceptional degree of holiness, likeness, or closeness to God. Exceptional degree of holiness, likeness, or closeness to God. Unfortunately, that's a pretty vague description, isn't it? Who gets to determine what's exceptional? Like, like where's that line? 
well, if there is a line, where should we look for it? In Scripture. Right? So again, if you're visiting, this, this, is, this is how we do things. We believe the Bible is the sole authority for everything to do with God. And we go to Scripture to come to any conclusion about anything. We want to sometimes unlearn the things that we have been learned in our culture. I'll give you a funny little one. Again, I grew up in Steinbach. It's the Mennonite Mecca of the world, right? And so I was, and this didn't come from my parents, right? This came from the culture, is what is the worst possible thing one could do? Dancing. Like, that's just like, you, you do that, it's over. Like, you're excommunicated right there. Okay, maybe not quite. But it was just this thing that was just, it hovered around, and I remember Shayla's sister getting married and us being at the wedding. We were engaged at that point, and there was a dance, and I was sitting in my chair with, like, sweat pouring down going, I'm so uncomfortable. Is this okay? Is this wrong? I don't know how to deal with my life right now, and I had this existential crisis. And that was just, right, I, I knew, right, Scripture says, dance unto the Lord. Now, maybe that means something different than other people say when they use the word dance. But I, I knew intellectually dancing is okay, but culture had taught in me something that made me very uncomfortable. And so in the same way, when we think of this word saint and we think, man, this exceptional degree of holiness, likeness, or closeness to God, is, am I exceptional? Are you exceptional? Where's that line? Let's go to Scripture and let's define this first very biblically. So I picked Ephesians only because I felt like it, I guess. Uh, when you go through the New Testament, this word is all over the place. And I just decided, man, let's just pick one place and let's just work through it really quickly and see it. Uh, but you'll, if you read through Paul's letters, you'll notice this is all over the place. So let's read right at the beginning. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 1, says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to who? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's writing the letter to a group of people whom he's referring to as the saints. So who are the saints? Well, we see a little snippet of it in, in the last half of verse 1 there. Faithful in Christ Jesus. So the saints are a group of people who have gathered together who are faithful to Christ Jesus. So, spoiler alert, we're going to answer the question really quickly. If you're a believer in Christ this morning, then according to what Paul's saying is you are saints. You are called out by God and you are part of his family. We'll explore this a little bit more as we go. As you continue reading through uh, the book, and we're not going to read through it, but I just want to note a few different verses that pop out and explain a few of them. So chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all of the saints. So again, this is written to a specific group of saints in Ephesus. But now he's also saying that I've heard about the love and the care and the compassion that you have for all of the saints, right? So we're talking a worldwide phenomenon we would call the church. That's who he's talking to. Chapter 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. In other words, you who have come into the family of God, who have been adopted as his son or his daughter, you are now part of this family and you are part of the saints. Chapter 3, verse 8. He says, I am the very least of all of the saints. 
This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, really quickly, this one gets a little messy for me. Is if a saint is someone who is exceptional, and Paul says, I'm the very least of the saints, what do we do with that? Right? Most of us, when we would kind of, if, if you were to ask, you know, like, who's the most influential Christian leader who has ever lived? You have this little list, and the Apostle Paul would be very high on that list for all of us. We would say, man, he was exceptional. Like, look what he endured, and look what he went through in the faith and the conviction and the fact that he was ready to give his life at any moment for Jesus. This man is exceptional, and he goes, I'm the least of the saints. So Paul kind of argues with that definition that we've found. 3 verse 18 uh, says, I may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. In chapter 4 verse 12, he says that all of these gifts were given to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up of the body of Christ. Chapter 5 verse 3 says, sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. The saints are to stand out and be different. Chapter 6, verse 18, praying at all times in the spirits with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Paul says, pray for all of us. He thanks them that he's praying, he calls them to pray for him, but also to pray for everyone. In just Paul's writings, the word saint is used 39 times. And if you do a quick study, what you learn is this is actually the most common word that he uses when referring to a group of Christians. Right? There's, there's other terms, right? Followers of Jesus, servants of Christ, ministers, uh, the elect, brothers, sisters. There are other terms that are used lots. But saints is the most common used one. Another interesting thing is it's always plural always plural. Now, there is one verse where the word itself is singular, but let me read it to you. This is Acts 4.21. Paul writes this, uh, sorry, Luke writes this, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. So while it's singular, who's he talking to? All of them. So it's always the saints in Christ. So there's this idea in the New Testament that the saints belong to Jesus. Again, if you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been adopted as his son or his daughter. You are part of his family, and you are now a saint. Now, what we often do with this idea is we start to think of it in the context of a saint is what I do, not who I am. And that's the exact wrong view to look from Scripture. When you read through Scripture and you see saints, it's always in relation to the fact that you are his. It's an identity issue. It's not a you are doing so much good will refer to you as this. It's you have been adopted in. You are a son and a daughter. You are now saints. So it's a piece of identity for us. And this is the thing that for us in our culture, maybe we struggle with this a lot because of our materialism that exists around us. Is Our identity is not placed in what you do for a job. Your identity is not placed you know, in in how many kids you have. Your identity is not placed in what your talents, your abilities, your skills are at. All those things are important, but your identity, if you are a Christian, is placed in the fact that you are a child of God. That's where it starts. And then you are viewed differently 
Not because of what you do, but because of who you belong to. That's what it teaches us in Scripture. If you remember back, 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 2, Paul writes this, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who are in every place, call upon the name of the Lord. Our identity is saints, but we're also called to be saints. We are called to be his ambassadors. We are called to represent Christ to the nations. Uh, the scripture says it this way, and we, we looked at this recently, is you are not your own, but you were bought at a price. You belong to Christ. And so now who you are is not based on what the world sees, but based on who God has called you to be. And now go and live that way. Right? So while it's not about what we do, what we do does happen based on who we are. Right? If you view yourself as, I am a musician, then everything about that will point to your musical prowess. If you have no musical ability and you call yourself a musician, what do people say? Maybe they just don't say anything and they walk away. I don't know. Right? Like if we say, this is who I am, and they're like, that's not who you are. Right? It doesn't work that way. Well, here if we go, I belong to Christ, I am a saint, and they look at your life and they go, uh, Really? then maybe we need to pay attention to that. Am I living a life that is called, or that it represents Christ? Am I living a life for him? And again, we're not talking about perfection here, and this is where we flip on the edge a little bit. This is where the Catholic tradition versus the Protestant tradition is very different, and the Catholic tradition has been one that has been pushed very hard upon uh, many people, and and so again, we're going to have to unlearn this. But before I go there, the goal here is not to throw Catholics under the bus. It's not my point. Not at all. In this issue, I think they're very biblically wrong. And when someone's biblically wrong, I think we need to simply say that. And we need to go to Scripture and say what is correct, what is true. But again, no matter what tradition we come from, no matter where we grew up, whatever it might be, there's lots of stuff that we have been taught or that we have believed that we need to unlearn and and fix. So don't hear me saying here that this is just an attack against Catholics. This is an attack against unbiblical doctrine. That's all that it is. So the Catholic tradition says this. If I can find my definition. Here it is. The Catholic view is that after death, someone can be called a saint if, upon scrutiny of their life done by the Pope and others, has found to be exceptional and has also performed at least one undisputed miracle that took place through the individual's intercession. Then and only then are they recognized as a saint. So right at the beginning, we kind of have a problem. Because in the Catholic view, a saint is someone who did. Someone who has died. Someone who was in the past. Do you ever see that in Scripture? Never when referring to those who have gone before us are they referred to as saints. Even in Hebrews 11. When you read through this great hall of faith and all these people that were waiting for the promises of God and who were faithful and and they're talked about in, in the sense of respect, I would argue in a sense for us to look at and go, look, they persevered, you can too. They're not referred to as saints any longer. That's the one time where it seems like it could be argued. But everywhere in the New Testament, saints is the current people on earth who represent the body of Christ. So right away, we kind of have this this difference. 
also to be found exceptional. Again, so I, I said this is, this is the idea. Is who is exceptional? Who gets to determine that? Well, according to the Catholic Church, it's the Pope and, you know, a team of people that kind of surround himself. Then they examine the life. So the example is Mother Teresa. Could not be referred to as a saint until she passed away, and then they scrutinized her life and deemed, yes, she was exceptional. She has attained, she has reached sainthood. There's a pretty fundamental problem here with that. Is if you notice, that means that men or women get to determine who a saint and who a saint isn't, not Jesus Christ. You see that? Is a group of people get to come and surround us, and I don't think any of us want this, right? Like at our funeral, could you imagine? Like, let's just have an evaluation and see how much good, how exceptional was that person, right? Like I hope none of us would ever want or, or think that we would be okay in that regard. Remember, Paul said, I am the least of the saints. In fact, he referred to himself in, in, before he became a Christian, he's looking at his life and he says, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst of the worst. But then he says, but now I'm changed. I am new. I belong to Christ doesn't mean all of a sudden all those bad things are gone. He's talking about identity, not what he has done or what he hasn't. In fact, Scripture says so often, right, what do we have to do to become a Christian? Believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And then you become part of the church. You become a saint. What if you haven't had time to do good? What if, you know, you're here this morning and, you're, and you don't know anything about faith, Christ, nothing, and then you hear and you go, man, I, I need Jesus in my life, and you surrender your heart to Christ, and you walk out the door and you get hit by a car. Does Scripture teach that we go to heaven? Absolutely, because it's not based on what you have done. It's based on what He has done for us. And so we can't come to this conclusion somehow that, well, you, only certain Christians, like only certain people who did exceptional things, they are saints. What about the rest of us? Where does the Bible teach that there's categories of saints? Some who are, are kind of like, this is where it leads inevitably, right? Is there's levels of heaven then, right? Those who were sort of good, you would get this level of heaven. Those who are mostly good, you get this level of heaven. Except scripture teaches this, there is who that is good, None, not one, is written in the Psalms. In Romans 3, verse 10, Paul quotes it reminding there is no one that is good. No one can stand before God on the basis of their merit and say, look how good I am. The other aspect is this idea of miracles. Who gets to determine that? Like we've all had miracles happen in our life, but if we really look at it, we can probably somehow argue scientifically some way around that miracle if we want to. C.S. Lewis said it this way, is for those who believe, no proof is necessary. For those who don't, no proof is enough. Right? That's just the way that our minds work. And so how do we determine that? Oh, if you've done one miracle, then you're good. If God has worked in you, that's kind of, and we've talked about this a little bit in Corinthians, and we're going to again, it's kind of like saying to be a Christian means you have to speak in tongues. Oh, wait, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches something different. So where in the Bible does it say that once you perform a miracle, then you're good? Well, it doesn't. And so as we struggle through these definitions, um, 
somehow, I think sometimes we can come to peace with this idea of like, okay, but they're referring to specific people in the Bible who were very influential, who had, had deep significance, or whatever it might be. And, and that's fine, I understand that. But at the same point is when we die and we go face to face with Jesus, it won't be how many good things did you do. Right? There's not going to be like, here's, here's where the really good people live and here's where the not as good, like it, it our works are what to God? As filthy rags. Not, not one of them, right? And, and again, so let me clarify here. I don't mean that nothing you do matters. I think it matters terribly important. How you live and what you do is terribly important. Because of who you represent. I think you look at someone like, okay, let's use Billy Graham as the example. Man, he led a lot of people to Christ. But was it because of him? Or was it because of Jesus working through him? Right? We, we read this earlier in, in Corinthians, but Paul makes this argument and he goes, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And he says, so he who plants and he who waters is nothing, but only God who gives the growth. And so again, the focus should never be on the individual and what they have accomplished because the simple truth is that apart from Christ, I can do nothing. That's what Scripture teaches us. And so if we start to view this and we turn it on our heads and we say sainthood is about the individual and their righteousness, then we totally misunderstand the gospel. We totally throw out the cross. And then Jesus wasn't even necessary. And of course, we don't believe any of that. Now, when you go further into this, then the question of, well, but some saints are revered and some are prayed to and some are even worshipped in some cultures or some traditions, excuse me. So how do we deal with that? Well, let's take that real quick one at a time. Should we revere them? Again, I don't, I don't really like the word because it elevates a person. Now, we should celebrate, praise the Lord that Billy Graham was faithful to what God called him to do. But apart from the Holy Spirit, he accomplished nothing. And so we don't elevate him and go, what a wonderful man of God who did amazing things. We might say that. But the person who comes to faith at the very end of their life after a life of complete wickedness and evilness and recognizes their need for a Savior, man, we should praise the Lord just as much for that person. God has saved them despite what has happened in their life and the impact of culture around them. They've come to the realization that they need Jesus and we should go, man, look at the faithfulness of God. Look how he can reach anybody. Look how he can use anybody. Any, any you know, big preacher, big evangelist, anyone that points to themselves as someone we should be very well, we should walk the other way. But anybody who points to Jesus, that's someone that we should follow. What does Paul say? Follow me as I follow Christ. And so if someone is pointing to Christ and doing great things and God is at work in and through them, certainly we can be involved in those ministries, involved in those people's lives, but we don't elevate them, we elevate what God has done in them and through them. Should we pray to saints? Well, a couple weeks ago, we looked at prayer in this question series. And, and when you read through the scriptures, who and who only do we ever see praying happen towards? Only to God. 
at least in a positive way. When prayer happens that are directed at idols or false gods or anything else, what, what happens? Very bad things happen very quickly. Timothy tells us there is one God. This is 1 Timothy 2.5. There is one God. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We, as we talked about two weeks ago, the only way we can even have communion with God is because of Jesus on the cross. And he mediates all things so that what we say, he hears. So that he can respond to. And, and who else has that authority? Who else has that title? Who else in the scriptures lived, died, and then claimed to be able to mediate between us and God? Nobody. We should only ever pray to God. So if we should only pray to God, should we worship saints? Well, that seems pretty clear, doesn't it? However, sometimes there are traditions that, you know, Mary being the classic example. Is Man, she was blessed by God. She's in this special state. Absolutely she was blessed by God because she was chosen to bring the Messiah into the world. But why was she chosen? Because of her righteousness? Or maybe the answer we don't really like. Because God chose her. Why did God choose her? Because God chose her. I realize that's a terrible argument. But that's the reality. Is why does God do anything that God does? Because God is the one who gets to choose. Why does God use this person so clearly, but this person he didn't? Because God had purpose. God had meaning. We don't know what all those things are this side of eternity. So should we worship one person? Well, let's go to Scripture. Again, Acts teaches us in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas. uh, Paul performs a miracle, and everyone freaks out, and they come, and they bow before him, and they worship him. And what do they say? What do Paul and Barnabas say? Get up. Get on your feet. We're we're just men. We're men like you. In fact, they're so uh, upset about this that the scripture says they tear their clothes. They rip them. No, do not worship us. We are only human. Peter, in Acts 10, same thing. Cornelius, who is seeking God. He's, He's in this process of coming to faith and Peter comes and as soon as Peter gets there to present the gospel, he falls down and he worships him. Peter says the same thing. Get up. I'm only a man. Who you want to worship is Jesus Christ. And he points him in that direction. And again, I'm going to say it this simply, is if we don't worship Paul and if we don't worship Peter, then we certainly shouldn't worship anybody else. These are pivotal people in the New Testament that recognize that apart from Christ, I have no value, no worth. But because I am in Christ, I have infinite value and worth. That doesn't mean we worship them. That means that every person that we see that represents Christ, we go, thanks be to the Lord that he has called them and that he has saved them and that he is at work in their lives. So when you think about this this word of saint, I, I would argue the word saint has been hijacked from the Bible. And, and we've unintentionally or intentionally perhaps in some traditions started to believe something about this and, and we say things like, well, I'm no saint. Actually, if you're a child of God, if you have made Christ your Savior, you are a saint. Not based on what you have done, but based on whose you are. Based on who has called you. And so, should we 
then does that give us this kind of pressure? Man, i got to live a certain way so that the world sees it. Well, yes and no. Because the world does see how you live. And what does Jesus say? That they would praise your Father in heaven when they see your good works. So your works have meaning. It has purpose. But it's always to point to Jesus, not to point to you. And so, yes, we should act and live differently. However, I'm going to make this argument is probably the most influential and meaningful thing we can do as Christians is admit that we're not perfect. And when we make mistakes, admit those mistakes. Confess those mistakes. To our spouse, to our children, to the church family. Right? We live in this, we want to be completely autonomous and we don't want to let people into our lives. It doesn't work. When we confess, right? Scripture says, confess your sins one to another. As we confess and as we enter into relationship and as we admit, man, I, I got angry there. and My anger was directed at you and that was not right. Would you please forgive me? What is that going to do? That's going to build that relationship. That's going to strengthen that relationship. When we admit to a world, man, I don't have it all together, right? Like if the world goes, man, you're a Christian, oh, so that means. And we can actually go, no, not really, right? Paul, Peter, I'm a man just like you. And I got problems in my heart. Probably had a problem in my heart this morning that I had to deal with. I'll probably have a problem in my heart, you know, as soon as we're done here. That's the unfortunate part of our hearts. But thanks be to God, we can go to him and he forgives us and he redeems us and he restores us and we are saints because we belong to him. So if anybody, if you ever have a conversation with a Catholic who you have this, the the road is open to you to have this conversation, don't just try and argue with them and fight them. Maybe just ask a couple of questions. Did you know that according to the New Testament, everyone who believes in Christ is a saint? Because that's how it's written. Have that question. Have that conversation. Again, the point is not to try and load us up with ammunition to go out and to fight people. Right? The point of it is, what does Scripture teach? How can I be more Christ-like? How can I be more consistent with what God has shown me as who he is and how I'm supposed to live? Praise the Lord that you are all saints. Bought with a price with Jesus' blood. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the reminder that it's not about how much good we can do to try and attain some kind of level of righteousness. But thank you that through the blood of Jesus, that if we confess Christ as our Lord and our Savior, that we are now adopted into your family. And now we are sons daughters of the king. So we stand before you as saints, not based on our own merit, but based on the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. God, would that encourage us? Would that, would that challenge us to know we are part of your family, but we are also called to be saints, to represent Christ to the nations? So would we live in the power of the Holy Spirit? Would we seek to do what's right, not for our own acclaim, but so that your name would be honored and glorified? God, thank you for what you are doing in the lives of each and every person here. How you are at work. 
And God, whether we see obvious evidence of these things or whether we just see a small seed starting to grow, we are so grateful that you are the one who causes that growth. So God, I pray that we would celebrate with one another what you are doing in our lives. But would it always point to you and never towards us? Would the sense of identity, would it change the way that we think that we belong to you, that we are yours? So God, we thank you. As we go from this place this week, give us opportunities to share your love with others in the way that we act and in the way that we talk. Help us to find purpose and meaning in all that we do, not for us, but for you. God, we love you. We're so grateful for who you are. Would you go with us today? Thank you again for the cross. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. Again, this is, this is like the best announcement, my favorite part. There's food. 16 months of no food and no conversation. You can just head on over there, visit and eat and, and enjoy the fellowship together. And I hope you have a wonderful week. For those of you who are visiting, if there's anything you need, don't uh, hesitate to reach out to the church at all. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.